The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Off Track with Inch and Rossi. Hello, people of Earth, and maybe somewhere else, because I'm pretty sure everything that we do on this planet just kind of gets beamed out into the universe, and it might get picked up by somebody. What accent is that? What accent is what? Hello, people of Earth. Hello, that's, that's a, those are words, not so much an accent. No, I just feel like you said it differently. It's something that I recognize. Hello, people of Earth. Yes. What is that from? Uh... Thim, producer Thim. I yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just. Is that just? Sorry. Do I just say it to you a lot? Do we, Maybe. Is that how I answer but, the phone call? Hello, Alexander Rossi. And the thing that I love about calling you is you say goodbye when you yeah. hang up. Oh, we're still bringing this up. Yeah, no, we're still bringing it up, Thim. We're still bringing it up. Absolutely. <laughs> hey guys, this is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I am James Hinchcliffe. I'm Alexander Rossi. And today we have an action-packed, super fun episode for you. So we're just blowing past me introducing myself. I, I thought we'd already covered that. Yeah, we literally just said, Thim, make a comment. We gave you your opportunity to say things, right, and you fair, didn't take it. Fair. I'm so. producer uh, Tim, not Thim. Hey, guys. This is Off Track with Tim and Rossi. <laughs> Thimmy. I'm James. I'm Alex. And Thim's here, too. Thim's anyway, here. happy? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. an improvement. Just That's take, all I need. Just take what you can get. Just For now, just, just accept it. I'm never happy. Story of his life. Take what you can get. We took a... <laughs> I know, right? I wanted Marco Andretti to do the podcast. <laughs> well, you can't win them all, Thim. You can't win them all. For today's episode, though, we have some other things for you. Uh, at first, we have an interview with a guy that you might not know by name, but you certainly know his work. Someone that I met, I had the pleasure of meeting two years ago, um... When I was actually in, in town for, for the ESPYs uh, in 2016, and he's a really, really cool guy with a lot of interesting stories, a lot of very um, unique colleagues who I'm frankly pretty jealous that he gets to hang out with every single weekend when he does his drives in his very nice cars along the Malibu coast. Yeah, I'm also jealous of the car company that he gets to keep. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, and we can't wait for you guys to hear who we're talking about. Spike Ferriston, by the way, if anybody was curious. Yeah, James, you, at one point you could have said his name. I, mean, I was about to, but then Thim just decided that he should jump in and say that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But You're Spike, welcome. Well, Spike Ferriston stopped by, and he's done a lot. You're going to want to hear about it. You're going to want to hear some of the stories, and if you would at all like cars, you're really, really going to want to listen. Or to if you at all like Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, it, SNL. If you like Curb Enthusiasm, he knows all the people that are very involved in these. He was involved in the people that were involved in these. Let's just, let's just, I'm just going to say one thing, and then we're going to throw to another segment, Soup Nazi. We'll be right back with more from Hinch and Rossi. (laughs) 
Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing and highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot because, well, we think it's the best. All right, guys, welcome back to another segment of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I'm Alexander Rossi. And I am James Hinchcliffe. And <laughs> you guys, you're not going to believe it. But, <laughs> you knew this was coming. But, but actually, you know, we brought the girls back because, first of all, they're still dating both of us. That was the most... More, more of the For fact now. that yeah. James and Bacon... For now. Yeah. We're working so, through it. So it's pretty pretty amazing that you two decided to come back and Kelly, especially considering you saw what happened last time, the fact that you signed up for the reverse to have happened to us. So if you guys don't remember, you missed the episode. What happened was, you see, see what, what happened, happened was, was, happened was, was. I asked <laughs> <Becky>. <laughs> for blood. I asked Becky a series of questions that we were going to see if James or Kelly knew the answers to. Well, the questions range from what does Becky find is we remember. the most annoying thing <laughs> that she wears to... By the way, if you don't remember this, you can go back and listen to that and all other previous episodes of Off Track with Hench and Rossi. And it's, it's worth doing. There's a, there's a good couple of laughs. But for now, I will let Tim re-explain the rules uh, of yeah, this segment for those, of, for those of Better Halves. For those of you that might not remember, uh, uh, Becky and Kelly have been lifelong friends these guys are now dating these girls, so we're curious to see who knows who better. Last week, Alex had prepared some questions for James and Kelly about Becky. This week... Fun. we Yeah, and James just had a great time with it. So this week, James has pre- prepared some questions about Kelly, and we're going to see who knows her better, her boyfriend Alex or her best friend Becky. Now, I really hope that you all listened to the other... Yeah, uh, Alex did not play nice. Yeah, so I just I want no. you to know that this is my rebuttal. I, being <laughs> the Canadian, would not have gone this route, but uh, as I had to have Becky back for the sake of this this piece, or it wouldn't work. Oh, Give it to him, baby. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. We're going to ask some questions. Let's see. Who knows Kelly better? Please describe the worst date that Alex and Kelly have been on. That's a great question, James. Because I feel like there might be one that you don't realize was as bad as it was, but she probably vented to Becky about it. No, so I'm oh, curious you're to abso- see if they have the same You're absolutely answer. right with that. Um, if, if, well, no, when the date went bad, she definitely would have vented to Becky about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to put my finger on, because I'm sure there was just one. There have been so many bad dates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I found it. Where was it? I know what the worst date was. What was it? Oof. Kelly was very, very kind and bought me this That's weird. awesome, awesome Christmas present. And the Christmas present was a cooking class mm-hmm. where we had a Chinese oh. lady come and she... Oh, this was one of many Christmas presents. One Just of many, one of many, of course. Part. But this was one of my that favorite one. parts of the Christmas present was there was a Chinese lady in Indianapolis that came and taught us how to cook Chinese food. Well... The the evening went well, and then we opened a very nice bottle of wine um, to, to kind of commemorate the evening and celebrate the evening and the fact that we had made pot stickers from scratch. And I did something that I'm really not recalling what it was. Hmm. But I, I did something. I have a feeling she might. Yeah, I may. Yeah, what did I do? 
I don't want to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Okay. Do you want to repeat no, that evening right fine. now? That's fine. But was that was that was that the worst just date? Say, I, I know this what night, it was. This is going to be our worst date. <laughs> this right here. So was that the worst date? No, we've never had a bad date. I wouldn't even put that on the list. Okay, so this game I'm doesn't work if you're not going to be honest. I just love it. I'm thinking of one time. Oh, tell us, Becky. We should have started with you. <laughs> I'm thinking of one time where you guys had a lovely dinner and you had a plan where you went upstairs and oh, got ready for the plan yes. and you waited and you waited and waited and, <laughs> and then you came downstairs and somebody passed out on yeah. the couch. <laughs> okay, so that did happen. That, and I, that yeah. 100% So I like gave him the benefit of the doubt. I was like, maybe he's cleaning up downstairs. So I like called yeah, him. Which I was like an idiot friend. calling him from upstairs. But I didn't want him to like, I didn't want to ruin the surprise, you know? So I yelled downstairs and yeah, that, that, that would, that's it. So, so, in my defense, okay, that's I don't need to defend I myself. You're right. I, it was, <laughs> can we do a different first question? <laughs> this is not going even how I played. Right, so no, we got to pick a winner. Who was the winner? Who was the winner? Becky. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Obviously. So, question number two is is uh, this is an action question. It's gonna be a hard thing to to really decide, but I would like each of you, Becky and Alex, <laughs> to. Uh, Imitate how Kelly behaves when she's angry. Oh, oh yes! No. I am so excited. Okay, I'm gonna go first. Wow, he's oh, right into it. This All right. is terrifying. So I, I Thank have, you, I have James. Some practice it's not really this. fair because uh, he gets it a lot more than I do. That is, uh, <laughs> uh, that's not true. Let me imitate Kelly, my beloved girlfriend who I wouldn't trade for anything. This is what she is when she gets mad. This is a feature, a snippet from one of our last fights. Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Your dog? Oh, yeah. Your dog? Yeah, we get it. We get it. Do we? Do we? I think we can take more. I think we can take more. He accidentally said, well, we'll just go and get my dog. And I'll go back to the airport. And I'll go back to the airport. Because we don't fight all the time. This is a horrible segment. It just makes us fight all the time. Question, though. The last two questions did lead to us fighting. Mine doesn't have anything to do with that. Oh, well, that's weird. I got a follow-up question. Whose dog was it? <laughs> definitely, our it's definitely our dog. dog. It's a group dog. It's group a, dog. our dog. All right, Becky. Oh, oh f- drive! Get out of the way! F- oh, I forgot about her, her road, road rage. rage. Her road rage is amazing. Even when she's not driving. Even when I'm driving. You kiss like, your dog with that mouth? I could like, be parking. <laughs> I could be parking. I am equally as mad as when I'm driving it's on like, the highway. It's like the yeah. Hulk. It's just yeah. you get in the car and you become... But I literally... Everyone's it makes me smile every yeah. day. I like to think that I'm a sweet human, but when I'm behind the wheel, no, yeah, I am not animal. that. I am psychotic. So, right, so who was... Who I'm had a horrible driver. It's just a bad mix. No, so who... who um, did you really say my dog that many times? I did. Okay, so that being said, I I did do that. I did it for a while. Like she did even it for later, about eight miles. We like were fine and everything was great, and then later I just turned to him and said, "Your dog." It just was, <laughs> and now it's a joke. So I guess I have to give it to Alex for that. Right. If you ask the question that way, but initially I. Well, I mean, but she is an actress. That so she she's gonna give a very accurate uh, 
yeah. very accurate interpretation of it. But I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. so that means we're tied at one. I'm gonna I'm gonna go easy er on the last one. Wow, okay? that's great. I'm gonna give one that's a little more fun people can get into, and this will really be a good tiebreaker because you're gonna have to really decide which one nailed this. Okay. I really hope you guys don't give the same answer. Yeah. Which friend's character would would Kelly be? Monica. Oh, I like this. Really? Oh. <laughs> that opens the door. Rachel, I like her better. Don't you Oh, can't 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 do that. that. Come on. Okay. Okay. Well, next. So out there, like Phoebe. I know. I am. <laughs> That's true. I, you say you're just you're just on another planet most of the time. It's and it's very endearing. Or the fact that she literally could be a professional chef and is very yeah, organized and is yeah. a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She also can't play guitar very well. Who played the guitar? Phoebe, Phoebe. all the time. All the time. Oh, but, well, but Snelly I Have you heard of Friends? Do you oh, know the show Friends? because Phoebe can't play the guitar. I'm sorry, he was Correct. talking, so I was confused. Right. But who, I have so to who go, wins? I have to go with Alex. Yeah, that's fair. I prefer that one as well. All right, Alex, you came away the winner on this round, but the skinnier teeth. I think we all lost. I mean, because I like <laughs> Becky, Except but I didn't want to end home. up with her. The people at home won with a very entertaining segment of Better Halves. Thanks, guys. So, Becky, so Becky, week. have you decided Robert and Marco yet? <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, there's here's more from Off Track with his rush. <laughs> 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 you have another reason to look forward to the Indy 500 this year, we're happy to announce our first ever live audience podcast recording on Carb Day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. More details will come soon, but if you'll be at the race, make sure to follow us. Our Twitter handle is AskOffTrack. We'll be posting more details there. Welcome back to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I'm Alexander Rossi. And I am James Hinchcliffe. And today I'm pretty excited about the guest we have. I met him two years ago now, um, actually here in L.A. where we're recording. Uh, He began his career um, really interestingly. Um, He's a writer for Saturday Night Live, wrote for Letterman, Seinfeld, huge car fan. Um, He has a show, Car Matchmaker, Simpsons, how could I forget? Uh, Of course, it's Spike Ferriston we're talking about. Thanks for coming. Good to see you guys. Likewise. We haven't met before, right? We have not. No, No, this is our our first meeting. So James Hinchcliffe is a, you know, Canadian racing driver. Don't hold it against me. um, Got... I have, you know, I have his a claim to fame. accent because I used to have a terrible Boston accent. So when I say out, 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 yeah, yeah, that's it pretty comes good. Out Canadian. Are you from? Are you from Boston? <clears throat> I'm from Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. But my accent was terrible growing up, and I didn't know it till I got to Boston to college or getting it was around people who weren't from Massachusetts. But I would talk like that: get a beer, get a car, and you know, you, the, the dog, like the, the whole, whole thing. So it was like a conscious thing to get rid of that. Well, again, I had no idea because every all of my fr- we all we all talked like that. That's the way right. we talked, you know, kind of like that. I, I'm not even sure if I'm doing it accurately anymore. Or <laughs> the, Louis C.K. does a great joke about how it's like, you know, we didn't know we were pr- mispronouncing words all the time. <laughs> we were pronouncing them incorrectly. <laughs> it's not an accent. You're not pronouncing them correctly. It's a different word. And I was doing a play. Um, I don't know why. I guess it, you know, in high school. I, I we a very small high school, so I was in plays. I played baseball. I did everything, and I wanted to do a little acting uh, in Boston. And I got in this play at Harvard, and it was a drama. And every line I had, I got a laugh, and I was very confused by that because there were no. This was not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> this was Enric Ibsen's something or other. 
And uh, at the end of the run, I said to the to the Harvard kids, "It's like, can you guys explain to me why I'm getting laughs on these lines?" And they went, "It's your accent, stupid." And I went, "What accent?" <laughs> and I was demoralized. And I went back to my dorm and I said, "Do I have an accent?" And these guys were like, "Yeah, man, you have this horrible Boston accent." And uh, you know, I went to work on fixing it. I had a friend from Cleveland, a trumpet player from uh, Pennsylvania, and they they were nice enough to sit with me for a couple of weeks every night, and we went over it. But we didn't get the abouts right. I don't know why. I don't know why I, the abouts didn't get right. But we 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 talked about language. The guy from Cleveland said they had the cleanest uh, American uh, dialect or accent. That there's no. <clears throat> hint of anything on it, right? Well, it's like it's it's on the lake. It's kind of almost well, Canada. That was that was like decided. <laughs> it was decided when in the early days of radio, they had to pick like something to be the non-regional dialect, really? and they, yeah, they picked the midwestern one. Well, I did it. I did it not because I, I I love Massachusetts, and I actually love that accent. I think it's cool. But I did imagine that I would have a career later on in life. It's weird at that point <laughs> where I have to speak to more than just the people of Massachusetts and I wanted to be able to do that uh, correctly. I was going to say, is this why we got into writing? <laughs> so that nobody could hear. It's not. I'm glad I did it because you know I've done all these shows where I've been in front of the camera and I think it's benefited me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, I don't know, maybe Mark Wahlberg would have been a better way to go to <laughs> really dive into even, that. Even he, he tones his down a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. You, I, we're you, all conflicted. When you go back to Fenway Park or you go back to Massachusetts, you, you let it hang out. For sure. Yeah. And is it one of those things where, like, if you have a drink or two, it comes out? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it slips out every once in a while. It might slip out this morning because I'm a little sleepy this morning. So. <laughs> I was going to say, because I'm already <laughs> I get a little tired. Yeah. <laughs> you don't feel like you have an accent, do you? Uh, I don't feel like I do, but then I, I'll occasionally no, but get like, told people, that I do. Dude, people, people don't bring that up. Yeah, they do. Really? So, so I, I just filmed these uh, commercials for Honda, and the like the first ta- like the first like ten takes of the first day, first scene. After ten takes, the director like comes out from behind his little thing there. And he walks up to me and he kind of pulls me aside. He's like, "So." Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to put this delicately, but you can't say about. <laughs> I'm oh, like, there it is. What do you, what do you mean? It's like, so you're you're, uh, and he's trying to be so delicate about it. Like I I kind of caught on about halfway through, but it was kind of fun watching him squirm. And so like I like, kind of drug it on a little bit. I'm like, Frank, do I need to say about a little less Canadian? He goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Wow. That'd be great. If we could do that, that'd be great. So Spike, you've had a pretty crazy career. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of different things, but now you focus a lot on cars. Mm-hmm. What's the reason for that? I mean, um, I like that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I like cars. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Right. Cool. It came cool. about very organically, and it, 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 it's you know, if if you look back, I can connect the dots to David Letterman, and and uh, you know, not really knowing much about vintage cars, and Dave kind of educating me about the Porsche brand, and Ferrari brand, and and then on Seinfeld, obviously. Did he educate you on indie cars at all? Because you know that he is a partial <clears throat> team owner. Of no, IndyCar team. but I was one of. He's like I am. <laughs> I was on his uh, and and maybe his very first driver. Really? Do it. That's right. Do it. Then this is before uh, back when it was just Letterman racing and it was just Briggs and Stratton go karts for charity <laughs> events. <laughs> Got it. But I saw this race for muscular dystrophy or MS or something and it was a go-kart race in lower Manhattan and your company can sign up for this much money and I brought it to Dave and I go, Dave, 
how would you like to own a racing team? And I showed it to him, and he goes, we're doing this. That's awesome. And we had, you know, uh, a team of three or four guys, Rob Burnett, who was one of the, I think, the head writer, and uh, a couple of the interns. The whole thing was great. We had uniforms, jumpsuits, and Dave had me rig the go-karts to win. He said, <laughs> I, awesome. he goes, here's my big fear spike, that we come in fifth. There's no fifth. For, for this first uh, racing of Letterman Racing. <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. If you're not first, I go, well, what does that mean? He goes, that means you should be getting out of your office right now doing everything. Go go to the, go out to, this is what he said. He said, go out to Long Island to the speed shops. <laughs> I said, the speed shops? What are speed shops? He you just goes, buy speed. Sounds super <laughs> shady. <laughs> yeah, I know. You guys go to the speed shops. You go out to speed shops, and you, you, you talk to them. You find out how to win. And that meant... Uh, taking so you know, I started calling these little racing supply shops, and they said, <laughs> and weirdly, they answered these questions. Are you a speed shop? I sure. said, what can I do to this motor? And they said, well, you can put racing gas in it. I said, okay. He goes, just one thing. It's a different color. It's purple. So if they do check and they are going to inspect these things, they may see it. And I'm like, I'm not worried about that. There's a little spring there. There's a governor on the engine, and you can take this stuff off and. We modified the engine of this go-kart, and we won. (laughs) All in the name of charity. Now, keep in mind, yeah, we show up on a Sunday morning, and it's a charity event with kids and moms. You know, just local businesses all there to feel good. And here we are in our black racing suits with our black helmets. Just coming from the speed shop. Yeah, Yeah. with with a secret can of gas, (laughs) and we blow the doors off everyone. We win. All in the spirit of, win. of the and competition. And what happens, of course, at the end... Do they check? Yes. They inspect the no. go-kart. <laughs> no. You got and they, they walk up to us. And they, you know, they were excited that Letterman was a part of this. And we were going to talk about it on the show. But he was like, we, we got a little problem here. And he goes, you know, the, your gas is purple. And it, you're using different kind of spark plugs. And this motor's been modified. <laughs> and we were looking. We are going, uh-huh. <laughs> Rob and I, and he said, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to bust you guys down to fifth. <laughs> no, no He said fifth. Fifth. After he, Dave was like, we can't finish literally fifth. took the trophy out of our hands and brought, busted us down to fifth. Wow. And then said, but to make up for it, we're going to give you the award for best uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was the guy, he was the first guy that, that got you into cars. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Seinfeld and... Yeah, you know, Dave, and Dave would call, he would call me up to his office and, and point out this, like, ground effects Volkswagen Rabbit in the back of Auto Week. You've got to buy this. Get rid of that stupid Maserati by Turbo you have. Buy this instead. And, and, and then I went out to work for, for Jerry. And you know how it is. It's like, if you're the only guys in an office who like cars, and at that time at Seinfeld, it was pretty much just me and Jerry. Right. Every other writer, you know, Dave Mandel was Star Wars memorabilia, which is fine. I got no problem with that. Larry David drove a Prius. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, does. when we weren't working, we were look, you know, and both Jerry and I are single and it's just like it's all about cars. You just you're there in the office 7 days a week. You got you're getting paid. You got nothing to spend your money on. It's Jerry way more money than me, obviously. And you start buying cars. You start getting into the hobby. And so you're a Porsche guy. Yeah. So like, yeah. What, what was it about them that made you 
Because it was a drive. It was a drive um, with Dave when I my first year on the show when he brought me out here. He let me drive his car to Santa Monica Airport, and, okay. and I told him, you know, being from Massachusetts in a blue collar town, that I just didn't like the brand. You know, it was all. It was you know. Remember Caddyshack, Spalding. Yeah. He drove or he famously pukes through the sunroof of sure. the Porsche at the Country Club. It's always that guy that's kind of driving that car. Right. And I don't want to be that guy. <clears throat> Dave was like. You're a Porsche guy. Just these cars, <laughs> are, you're going to like it. It's a go-kart experience, and here's why you're going to like it. And then I drove a 356, a 914.6, an SC, and I was done. And I got it. And I immediately went back to New York and bought one. I, I find that there that Porsche is one of those brands where you're either you're like you are a Porsche guy mm-hmm. or you're like not a Porsche guy. Yeah. I felt like they had made designed this thing for me the right. second I got into it. Well, and I feel car. like there is something to be said. It is the most, it's the closest you're going to get from a road car perspective to a visceral race car experience. While we're, while we're on Porsches, I, uh, I hear a rumor um, that you played a part in convincing Jerry Seinfeld to buy the 917. Yes. Steve McQueen's car. I did. They were not expensive cars at that point. Right. The, the car I bought in New York back in the day was $6,000, and it was a 74 C.P. Brown 911 with way too many miles, and I overpaid. It was a <laughs> $2,800 car for sure all day long. I bought it from a dealer, and I didn't negotiate. I didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, now let's flash forward to, I don't, I don't know when he bought that car, but it was after Seinfeld, and I'm driving down La Siena Boulevard south of Sunset in Hollywood. And in the window of Symbolic Motor Cars, a dealership that's not there anymore, is this 917, Gulf Blue and Orange. So I stop my car and go in, and the, the owner tells me, or the salesman, this is uh, the camera car from the movie Le Mans. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, it was a solar racing car, Steve McQueen's car. And I said, you're, you're kidding me. What is it doing here? And he goes, it's for sale. <laughs> So, I said, what? You know, I just is this Is this also $6,000? <laughs> now, this is also at a time where race cars really weren't something people bought. Yeah. You know, they were, they were beaten. They had a lot of miles on them. And they weren't something <clears throat> other than, um, you know, guys like Canaper that were collected. Right. You know what I mean? Jerry's in town. I said, you gotta, you got to come down to Symbolic and check this out. This is Steve McQueen's. Le Mans. The car he shot Le Mans with, it's got the camera mounts on the front of it. This 917 is there. And he goes, you're kidding. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we, go, we drive down there one afternoon with Sam Cabiglio, the guy, uh, his car consigliere. And uh, we, we look at this car, I think, for about two and a half hours. We really? go in. They had it in the little uh, loading bay. And we couldn't stop staring at it. We'd never seen something like it. You know, this is kind of pre-internet, too. So you don't, you didn't quite know about this thing. And you couldn't just Google it and see every angle inside and out. And, you know, and we're just like, this is incredible. It was, uh, you know, that's a little over a million dollars, which was a lot of money at the time. and Still is. <laughs> it's not an insignificant not, amount now. Not what it's worth now. For and sure. Does Jerry still own it? It was also pre, he does. In fact, we just had it out at Thermal. But it was, it was pre-Steve McQueen craziness. Right. You know, before anybody was paying a million dollars for his sunglasses. Right. <laughs> or 10 million for his underpants. <laughs> you know, it it's was before investment. that. 
But those of us in the know, especially my business partner, John, um, he and I were already nuts about Steve McQueen stuff. Like, we were driving up to Santa Paula when his ranch went for sale. We were like, let's buy this. It was Steve McQueen's. You know, and it was just a piece of dirt that was overpriced at that point. But now I wish we had bought it. Um, and, you know, Jerry said, uh, he goes, look, it's great, but I don't know why I, of all people, should own this car. He just couldn't wrap his head around... He just thought it was too much, sure. right? Like the Steve McQueen legend was too big, and he, why would this goofball comedian from New York? Why should he own the car? And you know, I I began lobbying him pretty hard after that. Uh, shortly after we went out to Willow, and uh, they ran the cars. They had a Ferrari five twelve, and then the nine seventeen going around the track head to head. Chad McQueen drove the 917. Oh, cool. I remember, you know, and I've told this story before, but on the very first lap of us watching the car take off, I think in turn four, the front wheel came off. <laughs> the car it's a bad fell down, the front bumper got all crunched, and, and Jerry said, well, that's that. <laughs> but they threw another wheel on it, and, you know, um, Sam, myself, and others were like, you should really buy this car, that you're really the guy to own it, you're a historian of the brand, and, and why not? And he bought the car and still owns it today, and he's doing pretty well on that car, <laughs> according to Bruce Canepo, who just saw it and gave us, uh, gave us some numbers on what that car is probably worth these days. It was a good investment. It was a good investment. It's going to beat the stock market. (laughs) (laughs) Can't catch the race on the big screen? Need to take the dog for a walk? Got to run to the store to pick up some snacks for the race? Download the TuneIn app today. You can listen to our podcast, Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, at TuneIn.com slash Off Track. Every IndyCar race at TuneIn.com slash IndyCar. Plus, you can listen to every game from the MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL, and more. I want to talk a little bit about the writing and kind of how you got your start. You were you were a receptionist at NBC. Yeah, that's right. And how do you go from there to where you ended up? Um, as an intern. I, I mean, really, the, the weird, insane leap is me bartending in Boston and being obsessed with Letterman's show and, and wanting to be an intern on that show. And then one day... Uh, a girl walks in from New York to be a hostess, and she's wearing that ye- yellow Letterman varsity jacket. And I just walk up to her. I don't even introduce myself. And I was like, can you get me an internship at that show? And she goes, sure. And, and, and what's your name? And I said, I'm Spike. And she goes, oh, hi. Nice to meet you. I'll, I'll, my boyfriend is still in love with me. He's in the graphics department there. And I'll, uh, and I'll hook you up. Her and that's name was how Harriet. that happened. <clears throat> what's that? And that's how it happened. And before long, I was... Flying on Big Apple Air as a student to New York for $29 on... Those are the days. It's crazy, yeah. On (laughs) Wednesday mornings. And then I would sleep on my friend's floor in Brooklyn. And I would work for free for Saturday Night Live and for Letterman. And then I would take the train back at 3 in the morning, Sunday morning. And then I would work double shifts, bartending, Sunday like no, I get I would get into I would get back in time to do a double shift for Sunday Monday rest Tuesday and then go back to New York there so and that's where it starts after that I got hired um, I what, got a paying what, job what there. was the breakthrough was that it what, brought you from intern to <clears throat> a paying job I mean did you was there one thing that you did or 
It's you know it's bizarre. Well, I you know like like any any of us, there there are people who you, you just do what people tell you to do, and it <laughs> usually works out, right? Go, and really, I, I was just life. like, go get you know, I could, I'd get graphics for weekend update, or I'd get uh, six pack of Bud Talls and McDonald's for the staff. I was a gopher. That's yeah. what I did. And um, after that, I did a short internship on Letterman, where I sold all my stuff. I, I sold my motorcycle. I had a Ninja Kawasaki Ninja ZX six hundred. Uh, a guitar, an amplifier, and a couple other things. I sold that stuff. I had enough money to live in New York for two months, and I just uh, moved to New York and started interning for Letterman, a a job that does not pay you. Four weeks in, and I'm almost out of dough, Saturday Night Live calls up and says, you know, we want to give you a job in production. We heard you were out here. And I said, no, thank you. I really love working for Dave. <laughs> and then the people, working, in quotes. Yeah, working. And, and I did. I just loved being around that office. But I was stupid, obviously. And the people <laughs> I was uh, interning for, uh, they said, you're fired. You got you to gotta you gotta go take that job. These jobs are hard to get. And I said, okay. And I went upstairs and I started answering phones for Saturday Night Live. And my office or my desk was right in front of Dennis Miller's office. And I started writing jokes for him and literally turning around going, here, how about so this? So that story's this? true. Yeah. That's legit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, at the time, you know, it just seemed like it, I, what was going on was I was kind of raised by TV. My parents always parked. There were no babysitters or nannies <laughs> or anything. They just said, watch TV. And it, when I was around this TV show and I saw that people were getting paid to make it, it's just something wasn't even on my radar. I just went, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. So, like, you didn't really know you wanted to write or that you could write. Or... I didn't know that there were writers. Right. And to, at the time, I thought Dave just came out and did his show, that there weren't writers or producers yeah. or anything. So is Dennis Miller an intimidating guy to be in an office scenario with? No, at the time, he's, you know, he's just a guy who, you know, you would, I, I, because I'm just answering phones, I can read six newspapers, type out my little jokes, and turn them around, and he just reads them. So, so you're just, you were just one day, like, do you remember the first joke that you wrote down? <coughs> yeah, it was a, a, no, I don't, but I remember the first one he did, it was as an intern, because I, I had been submitting jokes for about seven shows and got nothing on, and he did one joke about Oliver North. That scandal with Reagan, I, it, somehow it involved Disney dollars. But when I saw it on TV, and I've never smoked crack, but <laughs> it was like the feeling I imagine what it's like <laughs> to smoke crack. I went, wow, that was, that was intense, that something I just wrote just came out over there. Because mm-hmm. I'd just been watching this box my whole life, right? And now I control the little part of what's coming out of it, and that was the end of it. I was like, now I, I've got to do this. Somewhere. That was your calling. Yeah. So writing for all of these shows in the 80s and 90s I mean was there one that stood out to you as one that you enjoyed a, a little bit more or was more natural and, and just an uh, they were all they were all great I mean I think Seinfeld had the biggest uh that was a very you know I expected when I got hired on that show to come out to this gigantic skyscraper full of staffers and what I was greeted was with was this little bungalow on a studio lot in Studio City with just a small group of guys making this huge show, right? Who didn't really, at the time, because I came in on season seven, they didn't really have awareness of how big their own show was. I remember Jerry and Larry you know, brought me into their office and said, why do you want to write on this show? And I went, what? <laughs> I go, it's the only show that's making me laugh, and it's the only show people seem to care about that's a sitcom. And they went, really? So speaking <clears throat> of Seinfeld, uh, you penned... 
arguably the most memorable episode, most quoted episode probably. This can be argued, but yes, continue. <laughs> this the soup Nazi episode <laughs> yes. was was yours. Arguably. It's I mean it ar- was. <laughs> Are you gonna argue against me on that? I'm gonna one? argue against you. I don't like that episode. But it is you, big seriously. it is very famous. You don't like that episode. No. Why? I, I don't know. Were you not allowed this to is have complicated. Soup with that guy anymore? <laughs> no, he's based on a real I've guy, never right? told. I, he he is. Yeah, I've never told him that I did it. I would not be able to go back. I don't think he's really <laughs> there anymore. But um, I don't know. You know, most writers, unless they're absolutely out of their minds, don't really like their own writing. Right. Like I like the contest episode of Seinfeld more than the Soup Nazi. And I actually thought after I edited that with Larry. The Soup Nazi, I thought, well, the guy's probably going to fire me. This is, <laughs> could be the worst episode of Seinfeld ever made because I wrote it. This is a little window into my psychology for your listeners, but they'll understand. <clears throat> and I really felt that way. And the night it aired, I was at home, and there was just one Seinfeld forum on the internet. And I watched the episode. It was painful with my dog, Cooper. And then I logged on to see the response, and there was just one response posted that said, Worst episode ever. (laughs) And I went, I knew it. I knew it. And I called up a couple of the Seinfeld writers and we went out for uh, drinks down at this bar. And, and, you know, and I was, it felt miserable. And I, we came to work the next day and I was certain it was over. That was it. It was over. And, and, you know, we, we, we all had breakfast together. You know, uh, Larry was there and it was quiet and no one was talking about me getting fired. And I'm like, well, maybe it's going to be fine. And then Jerry's assistant came in and said, hey, guys, you got to check this out. New York, the soup Nazis all over New York. And we're like, what? And then Jerry walked in. And he goes, wow, what an episode last night. He goes, I, I usually don't get any calls. People are calling me all over the place. And that's where this thing began that I still don't quite understand. So it's been surprising to you that it became as legendary. It's surprising to me that you guys are talking about it right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is. The fact that it came up in this conversation it's is a bit surprising. of a shock. <laughs> Because it's, you well, know, it's question mark. Like, it's, good job. And I'm always conflicted about it because a lot of it's not a, you know, there's there's so much truth in that episode about what really happened to me because I used to get lunch there and, and it, you know, I was turned away. I was arrogant about it in the beginning and I was with my friend Dave and not Letterman. And he was like, if you don't do this right, you're not getting soup. And I'm like, I'm just ordering soup, man. What are you talking about? I don't doing it right. And I got rejected. And, you know, that that happens to George with Jerry in that scene. And, you know, there are little moments. Whenever I watch the show in general in my episodes, I see these little moments from my life in New York. And it's, you know, it's like looking through your high school yearbook. You remember like, oh, that... Yeah. That Muffin Tops episode, I had a girlfriend that only ate the tops of muffins, and that's where that came from. No way. So, so does the... They are great, by the way. They are the, I they actually, are the, are I kind of wanted... I was hoping that episode was going to, like, spawn a movement of, of big Oh, shots. it's happening. Yeah. Oh. That's already... It already happened. But, you, you know, the movement was supposed to be cook the whole muffin, take off the top, and just sell that. Right. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> made Muffin Top pans, and that, that defeats ruins the whole it. purpose. Ruins it ruins it. it. So, I mean, you, you obviously wrote for Seinfeld, you, SNL, these massive shows. I'm a huge comedy nerd, so I want to talk about, like, the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, like, sure. You guys did, like, seven episodes on that, but that writer's right. room, it was, like, you, Steve Carell, Colbert. I mean, yeah. that, that had to be incredible to yeah. work with those guys. Well, at the time, I, did, I wrote on that show and didn't take a vacation because I saw what they were doing on ABC, and it was making me laugh so hard that I uh, 
had my agent call them up and just go, look, rather than taking a break between seasons, can I go with my, my friend and writer Steve O'Donnell? We'll be a writing, writing team, and can we go work on the show? Wow. And we were very surprised when ABC said, sure. It's <laughs> 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 out. And suddenly we're in New York, and they're paying for everything. And we walked in, and we shook hands with the ABC executive, and they came up to us, and they said, okay, you know, we're so excited to have you guys here. And we're like, yeah, we're totally excited to be here. And they go, so what are your ideas on fixing this show? <laughs> we we're like, fixing it? No, no, we're, we're, we think it's perfect. We're just going to do what Robert Smigels <laughs> says and Louie. We just want to get something on it so we can say we were a part of it. And she just turned white. She was just like, oh, no. Like somehow my agent did not communicate that they thought we were there to fix things, that we were there just to kind of pay homage to what right. Robert Smigel and Dana were doing. Yeah. If, and if by anybody the way, listening yeah. hasn't seen it, it's set, there's seven episodes. You guys wrote eight, but only only seven like went to air. I guess. But yeah. It's definitely worth checking out. It's 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 really fantastic. awesome. And we were only Steve and I were only there I think for the last batch of episodes, but you know. We, we had Louis C.K. there. We, you know, who else do we have? I shared an office with Colbert and uh, Steve Carell, who I didn't know at the time. Yeah. They were just these two funny, nice guys who I thought, well, they won't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know this that. show is yeah. getting canceled. And, and you and were then, right. You and know, I felt bad. I felt bad for them. I go, they're so talented and they're so funny, but it's just not going to work out the for end of the road for them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, so kind of next chapter, next step, you've now got, uh, the show Car Matchmaker. Basically, house hunters for cars. Yeah. You meet someone, learn about them, pick a couple automotive options for them. So you asked how that happened. Yeah. And that happened, I, I remember where I was sitting at a computer writing a, a pilot, and my friend uh, Ellen Rackerton called me up, and she's a producer, and she said, I just want to call you and let you know I didn't take your advice and I screwed up. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, remember when I asked you about the portion, how I should spec it out and paint to sample? And you remember how Jerry said, it's got to be paint to sample and you got to go blah, 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 blah. And you said, don't listen to Seinfeld. <laughs> You're at the beginning of this. Just go to the lot and pick out a car. She, she goes, you were right because my car just came in. It's the wrong color. I, I feel I, I don't want the thing. And she said, you should really do a show. And I go, what does that mean? She goes, I don't know. You're kind of, you, you help so many people with cars you're like a, a car matchmaker and I said well there you know and I stopped because I pitch a lot of shows and I know when you get a title that makes sense you can sell a show in the title which right. by the way I sold that show in the title really it's a two-word pitch I said we, the show's called car matchmaker and Esquire went we want it tell us what it is and you know because it you, you understand right away what that show's about yeah and and so you know, the pilot didn't work out that I was writing, but that was one of five things I was taking out that year, and that's the one that worked, and I couldn't have been happier. So we, we set about making that making the show. So then what's, I guess to finish that up, what's the most common mistake people make when they buy a car? Great question. Oh, that's, you know, hmm, the most common? Besides, like, overpaying. <clears throat> I was just going like, to say, they, 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 <laughs> go above their budget. Right. That's a good, that's a really good question. I mean, one, one mistake I saw over and over again is um, people bought an option and not a car. They bought one option. Right. I want a sunroof. I want a heated steering wheel because right. no one else <clears throat> can right. do that. Right. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't think past that and they would get it and, and the novelty would wear off in mm -hmm. a week and then they would be stuck with this thing they didn't want. Don't you know, buy that, an option. Yeah, don't buy an option. 
Another one is ignoring their little dream car. So what is what is your favorite car you own right now? Like what's your what's the one you don't want to get out of? And we'll end on. Uh, G- they're, they're always GT3s. Okay. It's yeah. always the GT3 variant. And I have my 2015 GT3. It's a dark blue metallic car with black wheels. It's uh, that that I kind of lucked into that I, that I still love driving. I've had it for three and a half years now. I find that these GT3s, I never get tired of them. Mm-hmm. I just never get tired of them. And, and, and not even the GT3 RS variant, just that, that, that road car that I can take to the track, but yep. I can also drop my kid off at school. Very and versatile can, car. It just does everything, yeah. and I can just stay in it all the time. Yeah, love it. Love yeah. it. What, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, that's Spikes Car Radio. We just finished our first year over there, and it, it did come about having coffee with Jerry and a couple friends of mine out in Malibu. And um, yeah, He's turned having coffee and talking cars into a bit of a thing, hasn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, no, that's another another aspect of what we were already doing. Yeah. You know, I remember a, a, a long time ago calling Jerry up going like, we're not doing this right. We got these cars, but there are these canyons up above Malibu and you got to come do this thing that I did last week. And we went up and we blasted down Encinal Canyon and then down to Bill's at the Malibu Kitchen and had coffee and it changed our lives. It was like real old man stuff, you know. It was like my, my dad used to go down to the Dunkin' Donuts with his friends, and they would gamble away our family money and smoke cigarettes. And he loved it. And this is my version of that, you know. And and uh, people, we started Instagramming it, and suddenly people started showing up, and they were like. I got to be part of this thing that you're doing. And we're like, hey, I'm just having coffee with a couple of friends. I know it looks bigger than it is, but it's not. We're just having coffee. So, you know, you know, don't bother us when you see us. But at some point, uh, Jerry said, you know, he said, you should really do it. It's more of a porch cast than a podcast. And that gave me the idea for Spike's Car Radio. We just talk to people that we want to talk to about cars and or entertainment. You know, either you're a comedian like Tom Segura or mm-hmm. we've had Jeremy Piven on or, or Jason Bateman, guys who I know are kind of closet car guys, but not deep into the hobby. You don't have to be a specialist. You, you just have to kind of love these things. You know, Joel McHale's coming on. He's got a, an icon four by four, but he's he's you know, he's kind of like me. I've got one foot in entertainment and one in the car world. And, right. you know, like Leno. Yes, that's you know he's been on too, and and Adam Carolla. It's, I kind of want to talk about guys that are kind of in that lane, and not uh, not dig down too deep into the minutia of engines and the right. rest of it. Yeah, you're not talking about you know stroke and yeah, just and... about the love of driving. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's... and everybody's welcome, no matter what you know. You know, it's kind of like the Luftecult of of car podcasts. <laughs> if, as long as you love air cooled cars, you can come you're and in. be a part you're of this. In. You don't even have to own one. All right, we are moving on now to a little segment we like to call the lightning round. Favorite Seinfeld episode you didn't write? Uh, I think I said that, the contest. That's the one that made me laugh. But I also like the rye um, because uh, not only does it have the horse that's passing gas in it, it's got Jerry's uh, 73 911RS parked on a New York City street, a car that would never be on a New York City street. There you go. A little inside scoop. I love that stuff. First car you ever owned? Um, That would be a, a 1971 Ford Trina 500. That my dad bought me. He just said, I got you guys a car. Me and my brother, you got to share it. It was $463. How'd that work out? Sharing my, brother my brother crashed it two weeks later around a telephone pole. That was the end of the car. Okay, so what was your second car? Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like you had a really tight connection with your first car. It was uh, my dad then, uh, two years later, buying me a Mercury Montego. 
I think is what it was, or Mercury Mar- Marquis, another big boat of Marquee? mess of a car, yeah. Montego, yeah. Which I promptly crashed into a telephone pole. <laughs> so what's your dream car? Dream car is Ferrari 250 short wheelbase. Preferably uh, uh, what color? Bruce Myers' car, the 1961 silver car with okay. the blue and yellow stripes that he owns. I'd Ooh. like his car. Bruce, I want your car. I get the sense that Bruce doesn't really have much intent on selling No, he's car. never going to sell it. It won Le Mans, I think. In or listening to this podcast. Its, class. it's also going to be extremely expensive, and I couldn't possibly afford it, but you said <laughs> dream car. That's true. That's true. How often do you buy a new car? Are you a regular car shopper? Um... A, a brand new car? No, just like like new to your collection. There seem to be two or three a year. Okay, but but there's uh, I'm always you know selling and buying and selling. Yeah. So yeah, you're not just hoarding them. No, they, and lately mean, I've been buying with my co-host Zuckerman. We've been sharing cars. He he he's got a law firm and he's been sharing cars with his partners for a while. And now he and I are in on two or three cars. And I found that to be real, a lot of fun. As long as you trust the guy. It's a good way to do it. By the way, who doesn't trust lawyers? <laughs> as long as you trust the guy, you get, you can only drive one car at a time. So, you you know, you split the cost. You trade it back and forth. It's so far, it's worked out. It's like, like time sharing a car. Yeah, it is. It really is. Now, this, remember, these are kind of weekend cars. Yeah. You know, and, and then I've got my Range Rover that I drive during the week, which I go. absolutely love. What's the fastest you've ever driven? Like, no one, no one will, we won't tell anyone. Well, as a passenger, famously, not famously, but I went 204 in a Carrera GT oh. as a passenger on a runway in Berlin when that, they were doing a press event for that car. And, oh. and we were supposed to drive the cars that day, and they were letting us go up to 204, but it was raining. So mm. they said, why don't you let the driver drive? So that, that's the fastest I've been in a car. I did not enjoy it. I find that over 160, that. and I've been over 160 driving, things get a little untenable for a fellow like me. <laughs> Wind <laughs> resistance. So uh, I, I guess I, I'm comfortable up to 160. Right. I, I would put it that way. What's a show that you would have loved to have written on or would still love to write on that you never got the chance? Oh, hmm, that's what's, really, what's the show that got away? Really good question. Um, I really like uh, what what Mike Judge is doing at Silicon Valley mm. over at HBO. That's I love funny. I love that. I think it's great. And then I think I would have to dive into the dramas. I'm not a drama writer, but I you know I just I, I love Game of Thrones. I, I love House of Cards. I love all of those mm-hmm. shows. I'm really enjoying Trust on FX about the Getty family right now. Right. But you know I, I know me. I would never survive sitting in a writer's room like that for a year. It, it's <laughs> it, it's too late for me to do that again. Favorite movie about cars? Favorite movie about cars would have to be... There's so many. You know, Le Mans is, I think, what everybody says, but whether they sit and watch that... I'm spacing on the movie, though. Shoot, my memory's gone here at this point. It was made in the 60s. I'm Grease? No, it's not Grease. American Graffiti? American Graffiti. There you go. Wow. George, oh, George right. Lucas. George yeah. Lucas, American Graffiti is great. Dazed and Confused is also an excellent car movie. Interesting. Yeah. If you, when I watch Dazed and Confused, that really reminds me of my childhood. And I think that movie takes place in Dallas, but that, when I watch that and I see those characters, that's pretty much West Bridgewater, Massachusetts <laughs> growing up in the 70s and 80s. The cars and the types of, of people. Interesting. Know, and I identify with that. I need a little more story with my car movies. I like it. So the final question was actually about 
Saturday Night Live cast, which was the best of all time. But we're going to save that answer, I think, because going into our final segment called Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Round one. Fight. All right, so the, the premise of Battle Royale, we do this at the end of every uh, interview. I'm going to give you guys a group of characters, whether they're real or fake. You have to mm-hmm. imagine if they were in a massive brawl, who would come out the winner? <clears throat> uh, Alex has kind of given away what our topic is today, but uh, we're picking SNL cast <clears throat> members. Who would, Current, who would former, win in a fight? Who would, yeah, physical fight. Okay. Who comes out the winner? This is easy. Um, we, let, uh, we let our guests start us off, so go, go ahead. Well, well who, who's fighting? Everyone. The entire, like, you have to imagine the entire the cast. The entire cast? All they, of these decades of guys? Yep, at their primes. At their primes? Wow. All right. I would, well, first of all, let's start in the beginning. Uh, John Belushi seems Damn like it. a guy who's going to fight. Tracy <laughs> Morgan seems like a guy who's going to fight. I'm trying to think of the big, now, Will Ferrell's very tall and capable, but I don't think he can, he, he could fight at all. He's a lover, not So a you're fighter. saying who's going to win? Yeah. yeah, who comes out of this? Okay, wow. I'm going to say, out of Joe Piscopo, Tracy Morgan, and then John Belushi. John Belushi's going to be a little too strung out. Tracy Morgan, I think, is a little more bark than bite. That Joe Piscopo seems like the angriest... And strongest and most capable guy who could so, kick everybody's ass. Are we picking two then? Uh, you got to settle on a. Yeah. On what a about a man and a woman? Oh man! <laughs> I, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, we'll do God. a tag team, a man and a woman tag team. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll go first then. Okay. I mean, you've I, you've touched on you've touched on who I would put in the in the man role. I would go John Belushi because Animal House. I mean, because that, I mean, you say he'd be too strung out, but that's, that makes him, that makes him dangerous. Well, he was sober during filming it. Well, he was filming Animal So House. you think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he told me. <laughs> but he's also sh- a little short and a little out of weight. And, and I'm yeah, but go- he looks like a brawler. Like he looks like a bruiser. That guy could take a Yeah, but not Joe Piscopo. Swinging. Joe Piscopo is, is in the gym. He's probably doing steroids, in my opinion. And so his heart's he's gonna bulked stop. up. He's going to kick Belushi's No, no, see, that's the thing. He's, all, he's just muscle. He can't actually move quick. Mm. He doesn't know. He's doing it for the looks, not for the practicality. To, it's show strength. Where, exactly. Vanity right? ripped. Vanity so, ripped. Yeah. But Vanity. he's going to be also angrier at Belushi because he knows Belushi's funnier than him. So he's also just going to have the motivation. You do have, you do have <laughs> that one. You do have that one. Well, so for the female side, I'm going to put in, I'm gonna put in uh, Kate McKinnon because I feel like there's, I feel like she could tweak out if in a life There's or death no situation way. she's a lover not a fighter leslie jones well, why is do you who think you she can pick. tweak oh out. leslie man. jones is gonna handle it that's a good point actually yeah, yeah. Damn it, that's she's like equally as funny tall. but yeah, just she's got it she's got what it takes so for me i'm i'm torn between two for the the, the male side bill murray and adam Sandler. oh that's yeah bill murray's a good choice yeah yeah he's a secretly angry guy so so <laughs> I, i'm gonna say bill murray and tina fey Tina Fey? Yeah. No, 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 no. Do you not think that she, she you talk about tweaking. Mm-hmm. Do you not think that she would have a, like a, like a spark that no, would I set think, her no, no. off? No, no, Tina Fey is nerdy like me. She's just nerdy. There's, we don't fight. We don't, we're nerdy. We, we, we hide. You're, you're right. off on that one. But right. I like your Bill Murray right. theory. That, yeah, that's Bill a Murray's really a strong There's something in that. choice. Yeah. There's something in that. Because that guy is not going to mess Irish, first of all. Yeah. 
Because he seems very wily, very crafty. Yeah. Like in a brawl, he could he could. He's find a lot a of things. He's, no, he's, he's a, a specimen. He's yeah. volatile, and he's explosive, and he's a little angry, and that those are good characteristics like, for a fighter. I feel like you're also talking about Belushi when you say that. No, he's he's out of shape. I mean, like oh he's, no, because because Bill Murray's a bastion of physical fitness. He's a little. Yeah, he plays golf. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke cigars, plays golf. Right. I saw him throw out the first pitch at the Cubs game. But I still think Joe Piscopo, like Bill Murray and Joe Piscopo. I, I still think Bill goes down. I think Piscopo's got him. I know it's not a popular choice, but I think he's the most capable fighter. And then for women, did you picked Leslie, Leslie Jones. Jones? But not no. I've never met her. I don't know much about her. So you know, she may have a, a nerdy. I'm sweet not stick with Tina Fey. I think it's always the quiet ones. Or I've, the, I've worked with the, Tina. There's no I way. Think, You're way I off think on that Kate one. McKinnon carries up. a knife. I and think Kate, she carries a blade. <laughs> she doesn't. No, she's she's a sweetheart. I'm not, not saying she's like, not. But by I, the way, in the life or death situation, just saying life or death situation, I feel like she's just got. She could just flip that switch and and cut a bitch. <laughs> wow. I'm and Tina Fey couldn't. I'm surprised nobody went with Jane Curtin, but uh, you know, I'll take it. Uh, I think <laughs> Jane Curtin. Nah. Nah. I, I think Leslie definitely wins for the female. Yeah. I, I'm torn because I, I, Joe Piscopo makes the most sense, but it's just Don't hard worry. not to give it to Belushi or Murray. Yeah. Like, I, 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 Joe Piscopo definitely has picture. the most like physical strength. Yes. He but does. I feel like Bill Murray's just not going to go down. Like I don't uh, maybe I just have too much reverence for him because of Groundhog Day, but I think how Oh well, yeah, I know Joe Piscopo. Bill Murray is is I, great I think I'm gonna give things. this I think I'm gonna give this a split. Um and I'm gonna decide that I can do that. Um I, I think Bill Murray wins okay, the mail round, on, Leslie Jones. Before you before you weigh in, all right? I just pulled up a picture on my phone. Okay, all right. It is the cover of Muscle Fitness. Joe yeah, Piscopo. Joe wins. <laughs> You're telling me we're gonna we're, we'll post this we'll post this picture on our Instagram. But uh, Spike has shown us. You a literally of him just googled yeah. Joe Piscopo muscles. Yes, yeah, I did, and he's on the cover All of right. you know many yeah. muscle fitness magazines. And look. Guys, I mean, uh, we're Bill gonna, Murray. Is, no, you're right. Joe Piscopo. Oh, I'm calling it. Uh, I'm calling it. Spike wins both rounds, male and female. We're gonna post a poll on our Twitter. Uh, we're another one off track, uh, and we will post these photos the as well. Oh, look at that flabby. That's uh, Bill Murray. Yeah. He just held up and it's flabby. So uh, everybody this. listening, Come let on. us know if you agree that looks on Twitter. Photoshopped. It, it does. It actually very much looks Photoshopped. Yeah, I'm not convinced not. that's not Photoshopped. <laughs> but yes, I think uh, I think that's a safe one. We'll, we'll let Twitter be the, the backup on that, but I'm fairly yeah, certain. Spike, producer Spike's Thim. the winner on this now, one. Here's another one right here. Look at this. Oh, Carrot Top. But Carrot he Top, member, Joe Piscopo, or Danny Bonaducci, who wins in that fight. Now, there <laughs> is the challenge, right? They're all roided out. They're yeah, all angry. Yeah, but see, Carrot Top's got, a, he's got something working against him with the hair because that's something you can grab. That's actually a bad thing to have in a fight. You don't want long hair in Danny a fight. Danny Bonaducci? Maybe. I think angrier than all of them. Yes. And would definitely win. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell and the Battle Royale victory... Uh, Spike, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks guys. for all you've fun. done. Thanks for making us laugh. And thanks for uh, bringing cars to like normal people. Like that's thanks something that, that goes back to our sport. Educating the masses <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. beauty of the automobile. Yeah, making making sure that they don't feel afraid of this thing. That's Absolutely a lot of fun for all. And us. remember, guys, don't buy a car for a feature. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. It's been off track with Hinch and Rossi. We'll see you next week. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking around for the race recap. 
Now, as it is the month of May, uh, schedules are hard to manage. So unfortunately, James Hinchcliffe couldn't join us. It's not uh, that unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, was going to get to that. So we're actually going to, uh, what was my first choice to be the uh, host of this podcast, Marco Andretti is here at Chateau de Bus to do the race recap with us. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for taking the time. <laughs> lovely. Appreciate it, man. You're not going to comment got on that? <laughs> what? No, the first choice. Never mind. Oh, uh, oh, I, oh I, I know that I was for sure in. It was just between me and Marco. Or me and <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yeah, so. that's definitely what happened. <laughs> So, uh, um, so, yeah. so yeah, Marco, how was your race? I mean, it was less good than Will's, um, but yeah. I hate Hinge for missing this one because I have to talk about my terrible race, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We had the wrong mechanical setup that was kind of forced to be on the car because when, when we had the engine issue, the guys had to swap the engines out. Why are you so hard on equipment, bro? And, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and so they didn't have time to actually get undo this one mechanical change that was really bad in warm-up. So yeah, we're you, stuck with you it. You had an engine blow the morning of the race, right? Yeah, I guess we can say that. I don't know. The, the, there was a, there was some issues. A mechanical failure that prevented him from accelerating anymore. Yeah, ah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. One of those. I can't, old, I can't confirm or deny what happened, but <laughs> um, and I then, like this podcast so far. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, are you gonna ask about my race, Tim, or are we just not interested? Nah. Were you in? You raced too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did it? How'd it go? Well, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me break it down for you. So we qualified eighth, which was average, I think. Um, four hundredths. You, you knocked me out by four hundredths, so I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Just mm-hmm. drive straighter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and a little faster. And just be better. <laughs> True that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and uh, so we we avoided the chaos at the start and was sixth and then really was, was stuck there for a bit and was given a little bit of a gift when Joseph, uh, you know, got adventurous. So so we came home fifth. It was a good race um, despite some issues and some fuel saving at the end. I ran out of gas again at Indianapolis. Yeah, that's your thing. That, that, yeah. And you always end Keep up in it. the top five when you run out of gas. <laughs> yeah. Or winning. Yeah. It's weird. Have you have you thought about maybe trying just that running out of gas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to Brian. <laughs> What's no. your strategy for the day? Fill it up, but a little less. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about Hinch's race. I mean, how do you think James James's day? Where do you finish? I want to say up seventh there seventh. Oh yeah. You know he's not here. Let's just say he finished twentieth. Yeah. <laughs> you know he had a, he had a rough day. You know I think for him you know he could be better just in general considering he was on the podium in Barber. Um, for sure, it's got to be disappointing. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that he's not here right now. <laughs> well, I finished 13th, so I'm just going to shut he, up. He finished 7th. Yeah, but okay, but you, so you had the issues at the beginning, but then, I mean, you were coming back and running some of the fastest laps. I think the, the same race. yellow that, that helped you helped me because I'd have been, you know, nowhere um, without the yellow. So that bunched everybody up and allowed me to somewhat fight back, but still not a fun day. And then you got you got a little racy Alex with uh with Wickens there. Yeah. Was that turn one when you tried to go on the outside of him? Um, no, it was it was else. turn one through ten. Okay. <laughs> Who's that Wickens? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about St. Pete. Sorry, I won't bring that up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was gonna say, did you not just well, want to take him out this time? Or? <laughs> I thought about it, you know, because then it would send a real clear message. It's like if I'm around you, move, <laughs> or else you understand the result of what is gonna happen. Yeah, you're however, bringing a little Tony Stewart. To however, <laughs> however, I did not do that, and we actually had a good fight and everything. Um, and yeah, St. Pete, he moved. He That's boring. Have. He shouldn't All move. All right. To well, Pete. I mean. We're at, now it's on next to Indy 500. We got practice all week. We got it's a big qualifying month. this weekend. It's a big month with a lot of weather looming, so that's definitely going to be yeah. 
And Bring it on. I'm ready for the race. <laughs> All right. Marco it. will send it in the wet. Yep. <laughs> Trim it. Yeah, just run, run the oval in the wet. That'll go well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Marco, thank you for joining us. Everybody, thanks for sticking around and listening to this race recap. We will see you next week. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is Ask Off Track, or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. If we like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show, so you better make it pretty good. We're also individually on Twitter at at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. And if you want to, though we have no idea why you would, you can follow producer Thim at at the Tim Durham. If you want to keep in touch with Spike and see what he drives on the weekends in Malibu with Dave Letterman and Jerry Seinfeld, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at at Spike Ferriston. The music you heard on this episode was written by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library, and the show is produced by Chris Boniello and Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, as well as them himself, Tim Durham. Also, Peter Vincer, Matt Monreon, and Lucy Shen at CastBox. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing and highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.